Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Oxygen Starved Podcast, where we bring you your adventure books and conversations from 11,000 feet in the beautiful Eastern Sierra. And I'm one of the people you recognize, Christopher, and with me, as always, is... Stace, and we have, sitting with us, our intrepid producer, Doug. Hey, Doug. What does intrepid mean? Yes, it's... It's it's high praise. Intrep, intrepid means you've got fortitude and you're with it and you're moving forward and in charge. <laughs> I'll take it. We've we've used it on you very very often, so it must stick. I love. It's my favorite. They named they named an aircraft carrier after That's it. You can visit true. it in New York. That's right. <laughs> I'm game. Okay. How are you doing, Doug? I'm doing well, thanks. Good. How are you doing, Stace? I'm good. Happy Cinco de Mayo, That's everybody, right. re- as we record this. <laughs> We're recording on Cinco de Mayo on another beautiful blue sky day and spring comes through. Um, but no margaritas are on the table, no, unfortunately. not unfortunate. They'll have to wait. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Uh, which is probably better for our listeners. Maybe. <laughs> but, you know, uh, we were just chatting, you know, coming out of winter this year, Stace, there's a lot of stuff that when the snow melts, you start to get to discover it, right? Or, or, and rediscover, yeah, rediscover it in some cases. <laughs> some, oh, yeah, that's there. I forgot. All right. That's where my car was parked. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that we know uh, we can start to visit now is a curious historical marker. Yes. Yeah. And there are so many of them. We've, we've talked about a few of them before mm-hmm. on, um, on the podcast, but today we're talking about one that's kind of notorious for several reasons. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, uh, again, if you travel 395 in the Eastern Sierra, you know Dead Man's Grave, Dead yep. Man's Summit, right? Yep. It's as we were just discussing one of the more notorious driving sections. Yes. You know, if there's a blizzard or a storm. Yeah. It's, you. It's it's the most precarious section I think of three nine of Highway 395 between Mammoth and Bridgeport. Yeah. Certainly, it's it's kind of has a little steep pitch to it. It's curvy. It's always the iciest spot in the county, I think. <laughs> you just got to slow down and be careful. Yeah. It's also the only spot in the Eastern Sierra, the only place I've ever sworn and used a four-letter word in front of my father. That's a whole other story. We'll save that for another podcast. Oh, yeah, you haven't told me that one. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still alive to talk about it, but not so much <laughs> some other people where it got its name. Do you want to talk a little yeah, bit about that? Yeah, sure. So this, uh, again, we're talking about Highway 395 near Dead Man Creek Road. There's a little signpost um, and it's labeled the legend of the dead man (laughs) and what happened was in in 1861 the body the headless body of Robert Hume who was a prospector was found in a shallow grave Pretty close to this site. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. It's quite the mystery. I'm surprised <laughs> C- Dateline hasn't covered this say yet. CSI or whatever. <laughs> so l- later the the head was finally located in a in a stream nearby. 
And he, uh, Robert Hume was last seen alive with his partner, whose name was Farnsworth, and they were searching apparently for the lost cement mine, which I think we've talked about on the podcast have, yeah. once or twice. So Farnsworth was asked about his partner who had been missing, and he gave some lame excuse. Oh, yeah, there was an attack of Native Americans, and we barely escaped, and... A subsequent in- investigation right. found that that was not true. <laughs> Likely story, right? Yes. Exactly. And believe it or not, Farnsworth was no more to be found. <laughs> <laughs> he took the hint. He did. But but uh, Hume wasn't the last body to be found there, right? No, no. There were um, other bodies uh, and about... Uh, about 18 years later, two other bodies mm-hmm. were found in the same area, mm-hmm. not identified. And uh, one was identified. I'm sorry. William Haynes was a postal worker and he was reported missing and his body was found and mailbags were found. So that was he near probably that site. like legit froze to death yes. in a blizzard or something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the theory on him. But because these deaths occurred within the same area, it will forever be known as Dead Man's. I wonder if it's haunted. It reminds me of the Headless Horseman story, right? Yeah. You just kind of just wonder if there's like a headless Robert Hume wandering around out there scaring people at the campgrounds and at the river. And I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to jump in to test that theory, but, uh, you know, listeners, if, if you have camped near there, let us know if you've seen any, any ghosts. ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's interesting is that this site is also listed in the Believe It or Not series lists, which oh, wow. I thought was so great. Not not Ripley's Believe It or Not, but there's oh, okay. a you can look up Believe It or Not like stories, and this is one of It's just one the coincidences, I guess. I guess, yeah. Well, and, and again, it's a dangerous part of the county. You yes. know, it's probably an easy place to get disoriented during a storm or... Oh, absolutely. And and because of how it sits in relation to the winds and the trees, it also has gets whiteout conditions. Uh, Very frequent. Producer Doug's nodding his head (laughs) Um, frequently. And I know that I have been a victim of those whiteouts a couple of times. And it is super scary driving through there where you can't see and the roads curving and Yep. The, the last time that that happened to me, I thought to myself, it's a good thing I know this highway like the back of my hand that right. I know what's coming up when. Otherwise, I'd be off the cliff. Yeah, exactly. So. Well, I'm glad you're not. Thank and I'm you. glad producer Doug is not. Me too. But listeners, next time you're driving up that stretch of the road, you now know a little bit more about it. Yep. Yeah, so check it out. Just be careful when you are checking it out that you go slowly maintain an appropriate speed and be careful. And we will be right back. Oxygen, a colorless, odorless reactive gas, the chemical element of atomic number eight and the life-supporting component of the air. Starved, suffering a severe and damaging lack of basic material and cultural benefits. Oxygen Starved Podcast, a colorless, odorless, culture-packed, nutritious podcasts considering books, describing Mono County adventure, and engaging in informative conversation with colorful Eastside Sierra locals. Download it now. 
Welcome back, listeners. We are at the B section of our podcast, the book section. Yay! And today we are talking fantasy. Fantasy. You and I are not much fantasy readers. No, I will read the occasional fantasy, the occasional sci-fi when there's really like a standout title that like a dozen people tell me to read. But yes. on my own, I rarely pick it up. Yeah, I'm, I'm exactly the same way. And I will share that my son, Brody... Was mm-hmm. was the impetus for us reading this book. So we have him to blame. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, Brody, we didn't mean that. Yeah, although we, you know, we both were kind of, mm-hmm. we, we kind of like, yeah, we kind of like this. I so the it. book that we're talking about is called A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah Moss. Yep. And this is a, a first in a series and... This by the people by the fans of her writing, it has been boiled down to an acronym, which I don't know how to pronounce. A a, a I don't even I'm not even going to try it. But um, <laughs> in any case, it is is the first of a five book series, and it tells the story of a 19 year old huntress named Feyre. Feyre, I think is how you how there's, yeah, they whatever. say it. And she, um, while she's hunting one day, she kills a wolf in the woods. And this, following her killing this beast, which mm-hmm. her family then eats, mm-hmm. um, this creature arrives at their door and demands retribution right. for this the death of this creature. Dun, dun, dun. Right. And, and hijinks ensue, <laughs> as we love to say here. <laughs> so, Feyre discovers, in order to atone for this beast's murder, Feyre goes with this beast to his land, mm-hmm. which is separated from the human world by a screen mm-hmm. of some sort. It, a veil. Yeah, that's yeah. it, kind of not... Right. We don't really know right, right, right. what that separation is. But the, the captor, the person who takes her is named Tamlin, and he is um, an, a lethal killer. He is half, not half man, half beast. He, he can shapeshift. Yeah. And, you know, when he's a man, he's very handsome and rugged and all that. And when he's a beast, he's, you don't want to be near him. Of course. Right? Yeah. And he lives in a palace. Right. And he keeps her there. Sound familiar? Yeah. It's, yeah. Like Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> it's Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. So that's kind of the premise of the story. Yeah. And then how she fits into this new world and what she tries to do to escape and how the 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 queen of this whole fairy land mm-hmm. where... Tamlin, the captor, lives, is out to get her and yeah. all of those struggles. All those struggles. And, you know, uh, so like you, I enjoyed the book. I actually read it during the pandemic. And so this was an opportunity to revisit it for okay. me. Um, and I had downloaded the second book in the mm-hmm. series. After I finished this one, I just hadn't gotten to it yet. And now I think I will. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in researching this a little bit, uh, one of the things that stood out to me and why I just said this a couple of minutes ago was as I was reading this, I was like, this is kind of beauty and the beast, you know, there's all the fairy tale tropes are there. Right. 
of multiple fairy tales. Yes. The woodcutter is a father. You know, yes. you're a, it's a poor family in the forest. There's, you know, she's the youngest sister of the family. Right. Blah, blah, blah. You know, the the fairy mystical being that shows right. up at the door, all that kind of stuff. And I was chatting with, you know, a colleague here in mm-hmm. Mammoth Lakes Library, Cian, who's like, oh yeah, it's it's Beauty and the Beast. And, and I thought, okay, well, someone else had that reaction too. So then I actually went and researched it a little bit and found out that Sarah Moss for this series mm-hmm. actually explicitly bases it on Beauty and the Beast, Tam okay. Lin, which is another fairy tale, and a third fairy tale, East of the Sun, West of the Moon. Now... I had not been familiar with anything beyond Beauty and the Beast and pretty much the movie versions, right. plural. So I actually went back and looked at the summaries of all three of those fairy tales. And those elements do translate into this mm-hmm. book to a great effect. I think yeah. she does a really good job of it. You know, there's the, again, Beauty and the Beast we just described. Yes. Tamlin is an old fairy tale from Scotland. I should know this. I feel like I should know. (laughs) But it's another one where there's an enchanted man Mm -hmm. caught in kind of like this witch's curse and um, the young woman comes to save him. Which kind of is what happens in Beauty and the Beast, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then the same thing with East of the Sun, West of the Moon, which is apparently a Norwegian folktale. And it's very similar. It involves bears and other magical Mm -hmm. creatures and a quest, but again, on uh, a quest uh, undertook by a young woman going to save the man she's in love with. So all three of these have that theme. Definitely. Strong female protagonists. Yes. Saving the man. And that definitely, you know, this this book definitely has a strong female protagonist. Absolutely. You know, she is she knows herself and her mind and she's not afraid to say what she thinks and you know, she was the one who was keeping her family alive, exactly. you know, when at the outset of the story. So, yeah. um I really like that about this and we sh- we should say too that Sarah Moss has r- her other series mm-hmm. are more for a younger yeah audience and this is a kind of a, a little bit of a departure for her because it's hitting that new adult new adult age like 17 yes. and older yeah. early 20s mm-hmm. which is probably why it's so popular her first series she actually started writing when she was like 16 that's incredible Isn't that incredible yeah. her first series is thorn of the glass and then this is court of thorns and then the other series is um crescent city and she's got a couple of standalones in there and she's still writing and publishing she's yeah. what i think she's only like 30 or 32 now yeah and she she's, can't be that old but she's one of the most successful fantasy writers out there today yeah and her books could be doorstops they really i mean they be. are huge um and i will i will in transparency i listen to this mm-hmm. on audio so um i really i enjoy i had to this is the first time I've ever done this is tick up the speed of the audio just a little bit. I do that all the time. That's really cool feature. Yeah. By the way, (laughs) talk about that on another podcast, but, um, I thought the reader and I can't recall who the name of the, the woman who read the book, but she did a really good job of voicing the different characters. And so you never, you never had any, um, confusion about who was talking or anything like that. So that, that was great. And, but the story after it started off a little slow, Mm -hmm. I will say that, Mm -hmm. but once I got into it, 
you know, maybe by like the third chapter, I was in it to win it. Yeah, that's you know, good. I I couldn't wait to go walk my dog or, dr- or drive in my car <laughs> or do whatever I would do to yeah. get some time so I could listen to it. That's a good story. I love the story and I can't, I, I am intrigued. I want to read the next book. That's good. I think we yeah. both will. Yeah. I'll just add one other thing, which is, um, you know, I love fairy tales and folk tales to me are like jazz standards that different artists go in mm-hmm. and they remix them and they reinterpret them over the years. That's what's happening now with this, this series, Court of Thorns and Roses. Um, but it's also part of a larger movement. A lot of fantasy out there now is by, is about fairy tale and folk tale retellings from around the world. Yeah. It's also bringing in a lot of diversity and, um, you know, fairy tales from East Asia and Japan and the Middle East, you know, are showing up in, you know, genre fantasy fiction on our shelves. And that's, I think, a pretty wonderful thing. I, I would agree. And I think, you know, I obviously I got the beauty and a beat, the beast, you know, metaphor, if you will, in this story. I didn't know about the other fairy tales right. that you've mentioned, but hearing that that's how current fantasy writers are kind of basing their ideas will kind of gives me a little bit more of a reason to read fantasy. Right. Whereas... You know, I really, I, I haven't read much of it before, but I love fairy tales. Yeah. And I loved, when I was teaching elementary school, I loved that section of the curriculum where we could do a deep dive into fairy tales from around the world right. and um, the structure of them and whatnot. So I think that's really, it's genius of these authors to take that as source material. Yeah. And then build these these fantasies. The other, you know, the other thing I could say is that sometimes I wondered, is this dystopian? He, I mean, it, <laughs> aside from the fact that Tamlin shifts from man to beast, and you know, these people have magic abilities, there was some like dystopianish elements to the story. And that probably also draws a lot of readers in, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's a ton of dystopian literature out there, especially in genre. And, you know, but you taught fairy tales and folk tales. So you kind of understand there's a little bit of dystopia in those Mm -hmm. stories. You know, there's always darkness that, that if you go back to the original brothers Grimm or these fairy tales that they base them on, Oh yeah. They, a lot of them were scarier than they are today. Um, yeah, I think there is that kind of mix between like hopefulness and triumph. Mm-hmm. Yes. You got triumph over something. Right. And then that kind of dystopian element that kind of leaves you hanging because mm-hmm. there's more books in right. this series. Yeah, yeah. You definitely <laughs> want to see what happens next. And, you know, so. um, I'll also just point out. Uh, for those of you who don't read genre, but tend to read quote unquote literary fiction, there are a number of really quality quote unquote literary authors who have done adaptations too. And I'm thinking of Helen Oyeyemi who did Boy Snow Bird a few years ago. That's based on Snow White. Um, Madeline Miller Searcy, you know, Margaret Atwood did the Penelope ad. Um, and one that's really popular right now is the author Marlon James, and he's reinterpreting African-American folktales um, in his novels. And the the one that kicked that off is Black Leopard, Red Wolf, which circulates heavily here in mm-hmm. Mammoth Lake. So for those of you who don't want to be labeled as a fantasy reader, there are other avenues in, and these are like all very quality, quality books. So, Well, I think A Court of Thorns and Roses was 
pretty quality. I, I enjoyed. So I enjoyed it. As I said earlier, I wasn't mad at it <laughs> at all. <laughs> That's high praise from Stacey Adler. So, so that is A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah Moss. And listeners, hope you'll check that out. And if you do, let us know what you think. In the meantime, take a deep breath and we'll be right back. You were dialed in to Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet, originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California. You can find us at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at OxygenStarvedPodcast.com. Just make sure you find us. Welcome back, listeners, to the C portion of our podcast conversation where we bring someone, a local East Sider with a unique role and a unique perspective on living, working, and playing in the Eastern Sierra. And today we are super excited to have with us Catherine Jones, a state parks interpreter for the Mono Lake Tufa State Natural Reserve. Did I get that correct, Catherine? That is correct, yes. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks for having Catherine. me. We're glad you're here. <laughs> so um, for the sake of our listeners, I'll say I met Catherine basically through two things. One, you know, not in person. We met through our library state parks pass program. Mm -hmm. uh, we're in conjunction with the California state parks in any of the seven libraries in Mono County. People can come in and check out a state parks pass that basically covers parking for numerous over 200, I think state parks across the state. Mm -hmm. And they have proven popular here in Mono County. Um, cause a lot of people travel elsewhere in the state to vacation. So they right. take them on vacation, but we, we do have um, this parks park location here um, on Mono Lake, which we'll talk about in a little bit that applies to this state, this particular program. So Catherine, that's how we first kind of knew of each other. And then also we sat next to each other at a Mono Arts Council, Bob Ross paint event <laughs> where we all kind of like tried to paint like Bob Ross for a yeah. fundraiser. We succeeded, I think. I think you succeeded better than I did. <laughs> I'm, I'm not artistically inclined. I'm just artistically appreciative, I think. <laughs> but Catherine, we always ask our listeners, um, tell us a little bit about how you ended up here on the eastern side. What, what brought you to Mono County? So uh, back in 2009, so I've been here for 14 years, mm. um, never thought I'd move to California, but my husband got a call from the U.S. Forest Service mm -hmm. asking if we wanted to move up to Lee Vining and there's no housing, so are you willing to live in a campground? And <laughs> we said yes. Um, wow. And we've been here ever since. Never had to live in a campground, but <laughs> uh, rented a place here in Mammoth Lakes for a month or so, and then moved up to Lee Vining and have been there ever since, and it's great. Had you been in a more urban setting, and then you, or were you in a rural setting, and then came to Lee Yeah, Vining? we had, we're coming pretty much from Washington, D.C., where mm. we've been wow. for two years. Yeah. Big, so, how did that go? I imagine there were about as many people as there are in Lee Vining just in the building we lived in in yeah. D.C. So it was a big change, but it's so great. I mean, as you guys Good. know, this community is so great, and we know just about everybody, and 
yeah, can't imagine any really better place to live that of course not. we'd want to, you know, look for jobs elsewhere. So, so you, you were telling us before we started rolling that you have a daughter. So she was mm-hmm. born here. She was born in Mammoth mm-hmm. in 2017 when the hospital was closed, but luckily kind of reopened. Just <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that big winter, oh, you right. know, mm-hmm. reminiscent yeah. of this one, um, yeah. Okay. Were you in parks and forestry and stuff back in DC? What was what was your background? So I had taken a job in DC working for the Smithsonian mm-hmm. at the oh, nice. National Zoo. Nice. And it was actually kind of a data entry job. Um but then turned into kind of helping with everything. Cool. And my husband was interested in working for the National Park Service, but wasn't having any luck, so expanded out to U.S. Forest okay. Service, which um, connected us to Lee Vining. So he's now with the National Park Service, and I'm with state parks, but we both started with the Forest Service. That's amazing. Initially. You know, I think... It, the east side, is, the eastern Sierra, I should say, is a plum place. I'm sure it's very competitive these days to get jobs in your fields out here. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about what it means to be state park interpreter and, and about the area that you see. Yeah, so um, I'm the state park interpreter at the Mono Lake Tufa State Natural Reserve, which is portions of the shoreline at Mono Lake. And we also were formed to protect Tufa wherever yeah. it is. So mm-hmm. after LA diverted water and exposed all of the amazing Tufa, the state park was formed and we've been doing interpretation, so guided tours of the lake, bird outings, um, walks at South Tufa mostly, and uh, we have a pretty robust volunteer program, luckily, Mm -hmm. Um, and we get a lot of volunteers that like to come and hang out on the lake shore and talk to people and do tours and do trail maintenance and picking up trash, all the fun park stuff, and then... um, we pretty much, you know, we jointly manage Mono Lake with the mm-hmm. U.S. Forest Service. Okay. So we work together, a big collaboration up there and uh, to kind of manage and protect the area and then make it a great place for visitors to come to. If our listeners don't know what a TUFA is, can uh-huh. you give a little description? So a TUFA is... You can kind of think of it as a petrified spring. So a spring that was coming up underneath Mono Lake and the calcium in the spring mixed with the carbonates in the lake water Mm -hmm. uh, to form rock. So it Mm -hmm. formed calcium carbonate, also known as tufa. And they should be completely under the water, but mm-hmm. now because of the dramatic drop in the lake level, they're now exposed. And there's even Ice Age tufa you can see if you're out like on the Highway 167 and you yeah. see the big tufa towers there. Those are Ice Age tufa wow. formed in an ancient Mono Lake. And then some sand tufa as well. That's Neat. a little bit different. They're so cool. Yeah. So Mono Lake really is an ancient lake, right? So it has had different levels Mm -hmm. over the years. And I guess for our listeners, remember, some of you probably already are familiar with the Mono Basin, but you kind of drive north from Mammoth where we're sitting today and you drive down into this massive lake basin and it's, it's a huge saline lake, right? Salt Mm -hmm. Lake with a couple of islands in the middle of it. And the level today is the lowest. Well, after this winter, it's probably Higher. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask that. Are you <laughs> anticipating the levels going to rise? 
we think the lake will come up four to five feet this year. Wow. Yeah, which will be dramatic along the shoreline. It'll be much higher up along the shore, but four to five vertical feet rise after all this snow melts. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. But it used to be much, even within a couple of generations, it used to be much higher, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then with the LA Aqueduct going all the way up there, I think that's the, is that the northernmost place where they get, get water for LA? It was Lundy Canyon. On this aqueduct, yeah. On this yeah. aqueduct, yeah. So that's affected the lake levels over the years mm-hmm. and it's become an issue. Yeah. So... Can you describe also for our listeners who maybe don't get out of their car when they drive by Mono Lake, what it's like to walk to the edge of that water? Because it's a pretty unique experience. It is. I do hear that a lot. Many visitors say, oh, we drove by, we've driven by many times going to LA or north, south, and we finally stopped and we're glad we did. So there are a few places that are nice to visit. Old Marina, which if you check out the the state parks pass from your local mm-hmm. library. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can use that there. It'll save you five bucks on the parking fee. And that has a nice boardwalk. Um, really interesting to see the lake shore because it's, it's so different than the lakes in, yeah. in Mammoth, you know, just totally different. Um, lots of alkali flies, brine shrimp. If you get close to the water, mm. there can be flocks of tens of thousands of birds, depending on the time of year, specifically phalaropes. Um, we've had 40,000 wow. in a flock flying around at South Tufa, which wow. is a really great site to visit. So if you want to see the best Tufa display, go to South Tufa, which is a U.S. Forest Service site. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to the lake itself, that's the state park <laughs> there. So, <laughs> so how do you confusing. get it? Do you have to canoe over from one side or are you allowed to drive onto forest service? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. We jointly <laughs> manage the area and, and have been for a while. So you'll see state park people down there and U.S. Forest Service. Mono Lake Committee does tours there as right. well. And yeah. That's fascinating. So also there's a visitor center there too. Do you have involvement with that visitor center kind of up on the bluff? We do. That's also U.S. Forest Service, but we've been in that building since it was built in 1992. So it was just celebrated a 30-year anniversary. Wow. And um, we have an office there, and I help out sometimes at the desk answering questions for visitors. But it's a really great place to go to find out general area information and then specific Mono Lake things and tons of handouts you can get. They'll be doing some programs there this year, hopefully. Really great bookstore that the Eastern Sierra Interpretive Association runs as well. And you'll hopefully be doing some programs in conjunction with the Levining Library, right? For yes. for our Parks Pass grant program. Yeah. So trying to work out, you know, what what programs would be successful? Last year, we did a family birding uh, outing to the county park and the state reserve boardwalk there awesome. at county park. That was pretty fun. I saw and the I photos. Su- successful too. <laughs> so hopefully some more things. And um, we're also going to partner up at the Mono Basin Bird Chautauqua. Uh, the last event for the Chautauqua weekend is a picnic, and this year it's going to be a phalarope festival. Okay. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Do you become dressed as a phalarope? Yes, you do. Serious? Yeah, I'll sign you up. So there's I was a kidding. <laughs> there's actually a phalarope uh, costume contest. Of course there is. As well as a bird calling contest. That's awesome. I love so it. come with your bird calls and your phalarope. Costume. And when when is this? This will be on June 18th. Okay. The, the Chautauqua is that weekend. It's Father's Day weekend. Um, 
we're getting two new Fowler murals in Lee Vining. Nice. So that'll, we'll have an unveiling that day and some visitors up from Argentina where the Fowler ups go after they leave oh. Mono Lake. Wow. Yeah. That's a long I just, commute. I just, mm-hmm. so correct me if I'm wrong, Catherine, I just learned last Friday at, at a sustainability fair that Fowler ropes, so they migrate across Mono Lake, right? And they nest out on the islands? Is that right? No, not the Fallerops. They nest in the northern U.S. and Canada. Okay. And then they fly to Mono Lake on as a pit stop, kind of on their very long migration. To Argentina. Yes. And back. And so I learned that this is what I want you... So thank you for correcting me there, because I don't want to lead our listeners astray. But Fallerops, when they nest, the female lays the egg... And then it's basically done. And it's the yes. male who hatches the egg and feeds the fledgling until they leave the nest. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. <laughs> so they have a right. their role roles are reversed from typical birds. And the female is actually the one with the brighter breeding plumage. Oh, it's usually the male, but right. the female phalarope is slightly larger and has the the brighter breeding plumage because she's attracting the mates, but then leaving him behind I to do the that. hard work. Yeah. <laughs> I love you that. You go, bird. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, <laughs> equality in the bird. So Catherine, bird where can people find out about these programs other than I'm guessing the library maybe? Sure. We will hopefully do some advertising uh, around town. It, generally, we do kind of the old school postings and yeah. put up some flyers and things. The Visitor Center in Lee Vining will have all of that information. And um, hopefully on the library's website, wherever we can get it out, um, we'll have it posted and maybe maybe in the newspapers and things. But we'll, we'll put some information about these programs in our show notes so our listeners can find them and um, they all sound like fun. I'll have to work on my costume, but uh, (laughs) we'll see about that. Catherine, what do you... I, well, I've, I've got, before we get to what you like to do in your free time, I want to ask, so is your work season, generally seasonal or do you have work in the winter? How does that go? This winter? No, not so much. Um, but generally, yeah, I kind of work part time year round, um, because there's not a lot of staff Mm -hmm. around in the winter. So when Mm -hmm. it's dry, there's still visitors coming through. So I keep an eye on things pretty much year round. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And then what do you like to do when you're not working? So probably what a lot of people like to do. Um, car camping is one of my favorite mm-hmm. things in the world. Uh, I do a lot of bird watching too at okay. work and off offline too. Um, That's great. Yeah. And we're getting my daughter into bird watching. She just figured out how to use a nice pair of binoculars. Oh, so cool. yeah, we've got <laughs> that it. set up. Yeah. Um, but pretty much, you know, some dispersed camping and things and mm-hmm. visiting Yosemite as much as we can to all the outdoor stuff. Right. You have Yosemite in your backyard. That's right. We do. That's Very that's close. Wonderful. Are you going to do a big year ever? Oh, no, probably not. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's a commitment. That is a total commitment. Yeah. It would be great to go to faraway places and get some rare birds. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Maybe when your daughter's in college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Catherine, one of the things we always in, 
you know, ask our guests is to share with our listeners a book that they've been reading or a book that they would, they would recommend. So can you tell us what, what have you been reading lately? Well, I just finished reading Heidi to my daughter at mm-hmm. bedtime. Um, pretty long book. So <laughs> it lasted a while and we didn't want it to end, uh, <laughs> even though it did put her to sleep pretty quickly. <laughs> it was good. And the descriptions of the mountains was yeah. really nice, you know, to imagine. It was kind of neat to imagine it describing here too, because it's fairly similar. Mm-hmm. Well, so for our listeners who haven't read Heidi for a very long time, I'm trying to think, I don't know if I've ever read it. I don't know if I have I, either. I remember there's like a, an old time classic movie I know version. It, was, it was on the shelf in my classroom, but was I don't it? know, you know, for the kids to check out, but I don't know if I've ever read it. Remind us what it's about. So Heidi is a young girl. I think she's about five or six when it starts. And uh, her parents have passed away. So her sister, who I think was caretaking her, uh, needed to work more. So took her to her next of kin, which was her grandfather, who lived alone on kind of on the top of the mountain. (laughs) was a hermit. Mm -hmm. And it's really kind of a nice story. It starts out that people think she's crazy for dropping off a little girl with this old man who doesn't socialize or, you know, isn't totally part of the community, but it kind of turns around and Heidi thrives up there and Hmm. runs around, you know, in the mountains and describes the flowers and the trees and the smells and the sights and everything. And then they kind of become a bigger part of the community too. It's a nice Nice. story. Yeah. So a lot for uh, a young daughter to relate to. Yeah. And then they get, she's sent to the city briefly to Frankfurt and then uh, meets a young girl that's in a wheelchair. She can't walk, but ends up convincing them to bring her to the mountains and she can walk after that, learns how to walk on the mountain and changes her life too. Awesome. Yeah. The transformative nature of mountain life. (laughs) Absolutely. We can all speak to that. I I love, you know, I was sharing with you that I loved reading with my kids when they were young. And I, I think it's one of the, one of the greatest things about being a parent is sharing a story and a love of books with your kids. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. Is just, she like to read on her own? She does. Yeah. Yeah. But it's nice to read a book that, you know, has, you know, bigger words and isn't just yes. a kid's kind of picture book. So I'm in looking for the next book that'll replace Heidi that we can start on. <laughs> well, we, we gave you some suggestions before the show, so let us know how that goes. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think that's, you know, and then ha- the rich discussions that you get to have and um, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's so nice absolutely. that you do that. Your and daughter's the, very lucky. And the perennial power of the classic book that's, I mean, Heidi's been around for over a century, yes. so it yeah. still, mm-hmm. still speaks to people today. And I, and I think kids are much more willing to, um, entertain a, an older book, you know, that we're they don't talk about social media or, mm-hmm. you know, anything, right. <laughs> television or anything like that in it. It's, you know, it really gives the child something to imagine and get those images in their brains uh, working. And that's mm-hmm. really wonderful thing. So good job, mom. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been yeah. a delight talking with you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it has been, has been a delight. We appreciate everything that you're doing for the 
Mona Lake and the Tufa and well, no judging on the costumes. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you listeners for joining us for this episode of the Oxygen Starved Podcast. Remember, you can find us on our website, oxygenstarvedpodcast.com and at our Instagram page, O2Starved. So check us out, give us a follow. And in the meantime, till our next episode, take good care and we'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. In Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.